thank you. As I said, you'll be very familiar with uh, the context that Peter's writing into here. A number of churches in, in modern day Turkey that he's trying to encourage. These would have been in and around the time of the uh, Roman Emperor Nero, who I'm sure you're, you're very well familiar with. He would have brought tremendous persecution to many of the believers, and that's what Peter is writing into. Nero, if you're not familiar with him, was such a, a hated, if you like, uh, leader that he used to take the Christians and he would burn them alive. He would take the Christians, at that particular time he would uh, cover them in animal skins and he would throw them into an arena with other animals where other animals would, would rip them apart. Uh, he would throw them, uh, sorry, set them I should say, onto crosses and crucify them just as their saviour the way, as he was known in those days, would have been as well. That's the type of scenario and context we find Peter then speaking into here. And it's not the first time in the book of Peter that you'll have come across this context of suffering, persecution, because as I say, it, it encompasses the whole of it. But particularly here in chapter 4, he really focuses in on believers who are going to suffer. He knows there will be more emperors like Nero and that persecution will only rise and rise and rise, and probably did rise right through to about 400 or so AD, whenever Constantine came in, and he Christianized, as it were, the whole of the Roman Empire. But prior to that time, in the time that Peter's here, then it's, it's different. There's a quote here just to set us up, uh, hopefully that you can see on the screen there, it's by uh, Stuart Briscoe. Uh, Society seems to suggest that we should always be happy, comfortable and successful. This idea is related more to fantasy than reality. You see what Stuart's saying? He's saying that believers and outside of the church as well look upon those who follow Jesus as come to Jesus and everything will be great and you'll have a comfortable life and you'll be successful. And And Peter here is telling us something completely different and that's what Stuart is trying to bring out. There are five things that I want to bring to you in our short uh, time that we have. And the first thing is, don't be surprised that living for Jesus in a hostile world will bring some sort of hostility or suffering or something along those lines. Look at verse 12. Peter uh, begins here by saying, dear friends. Isn't that lovely that he he starts off uh, with such a serious context by saying friends? Or some of the older translations used to say beloved or beloved, if you like that sort of expression. That's the way Peter was starting off. Dear friends, and here's what he's saying. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked at this fiery ordeal when it comes upon you because it's not something strange that's happening to you, but it's something that we have been taught. Peter had been taught this in his own life and would suffer even further. We believe, don't we, through tradition that Peter was actually crucified on a cross upside down when he said, no, 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 you can't crucify me the same way that my Lord Jesus was. Let me go upside down. And so tradition has it that he was crucified upside down. That's how he met his end. And so Peter knows exactly what he's talking about at this particular stage as well. And he's relating it to Jesus. He's saying that all of this suffering must come to followers of Jesus because if you're a follower of Jesus, you walk in his footsteps. Isn't that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? 
to walk in his footsteps. And because Jesus suffered then, so his followers and those who will come after that must also suffer in some way. Not everybody's going to be like Peter, crucified upside down. Not everyone will come to some calamity, will die in a horrible way. That's, that's not what Peter's saying here. But we must suffer in some way. And don't be surprised when that comes upon you, Peter is trying to say to all of them here. Disciples should not feel really uh, at home. Society we know, and this links in with what Stuart uh, said there on that quote, society lives on lies. We've only got to look at our television screens. It relies on pride, pleasure, and desire for more and more and more of all sorts of things. Materialism, bigger house, bigger car, etc., etc., etc. More, more, more. That's what society lives on. And Peter's trying to tell us here that actually believers should not survive on the lies, pride, pleasure, desire for men, of men, but survive on truth, not lies. Survive on humility, not pride. Should survive on holiness or being different is the word holiness what it actually means, separate, different from the rest of the world, not seeking after pleasure all the time, and the desire for more, well, our desire should be to honor him. And so what Peter's saying here is, if you suffer for being a Christian, it's not abnormal. What is abnormal is that you don't suffer for being a Christian. Now, let's, we need to bear in, in mind what suffering for a Christian is, is being. Suffering for being a follower of Jesus can mean all sorts of things. It can mean hostility from the community around you. It can mean that your neighbor shuns you and doesn't speak to you. It can mean in your school or your workplace that perhaps someone laughs at you or anything along those lines. That can be the type of of suffering. But it can also go much further than that. And I don't know if you keep an eye on social media, but at the minute there are many, many pastors who are out on the streets in London and various other places in the UK and a number of them have been arrested recently because what they are saying and proclaiming the scriptures is intolerant towards this new politically correct society and what they're saying is looked upon often as a hate crime now a hate crime for loving people for speaking truth etc etc and a number of them have been arrested even in the UK And this is replicating what happens to believers all over the world. Many of them are thrown out of their communities. Many of them suffer for being Christians through hostility. And that can be from the governments, which is potentially the way the UK is going. But it also can be from their communities, even from their own families. I received a letter just a short time ago from a a lovely believer in in Malaysia. Uh, She was a Muslim. Uh, She came to know Jesus in a miraculous way. I don't have time just to share that wonderful testimony with you. But she went home to her family, and her family threw her out onto the street. They were all uh, Muslims. Then she went to her sister, who was married, lived in another house. And as soon as her sister found out she was now a follower of Jesus, Isa al-Masih is is how they term it, Jesus Messiah, she threw her out onto the street. She had nowhere to go. And so friends of mine who who live in in Malaysia uh, were able to get in touch with her, and they took her in, and they are now sheltering her. But the ironic thing is, and this feeds into what we're being taught here uh, about not being surprised, this believer knew before she accepted Jesus there would be consequences. She knew that. And yet, 
willingly she said, Jesus, I see no other way except to follow you. And in the letter that she wrote me recently, she says at the very, very end of it, in really bad English, but I'll try and paraphrase it for you. She says at the end of the letter, she says, but what of it? Now I have a loving family. My mama and papa, that's the, the, the two believers that took her in who I know, she calls them mama and papa, love me. And so do all the other believers because they mostly meet in secret in a house. That's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus who suffers just as Peter is telling us here. And somehow God allows all of this to happen, but in his timing. Don't be miserable is the second thing I just want to focus on. Verse 13 and 14. But rejoice. Wow, isn't that amazing? This is a, a letter that's talking about suffering. This is a letter where Peter's saying, okay, church in Turkey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to suffer. Nero is going to burn some of you. Uh, various other things are going to happen to you. And then he says here, but rejoice. Did you get that? In their suffering, he's saying, but rejoice. And that's not an easy thing. And I don't think Peter was saying that glibly, and we'll come on to that hopefully. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I thought it was lovely there to think about Jesus and his sufferings. Because Jesus was to suffer. He was born to suffer. Did you ever think about it that way? He was born to die. So in his birth, that was all part of God's plan that he was going to at one stage die. But before that would come suffering. And so Jesus was born into uh, poverty. He was raised a refugee, wasn't he? He had to go to Egypt and live there for, for quite some time and then come back with Mary and Joseph. He then had to work and he had to labor hard as a carpenter, we believe, although there's very little said in the scriptures about his life. He lived under a repressive regime, i.e. the Romans, who allowed Judaism to a certain extent. And he had to live under that political regime who were repressive. He was misunderstood even by his family. Do you remember his family said, he's mad, he's insane, there's something wrong. A demon has possessed him, is what they said. Has your family ever said that to you? You're mad to be a Christian. A demon has possessed you. He's misunderstood. He was insulted. He was mocked, slandered, bullied, and the list goes on and on. Then he was betrayed, disowned. He was given a uh, guilty crime in the court that he went to, and then they killed him. They murdered Jesus. That's the sort of life that Jesus lived. And Peter's saying here, if we're to be followers of Jesus, then we walk in his shoes. And he says here in this particular uh, verse that we've looked at, but as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, Peter's saying that some of the things, not everything, some of the things that happen to Jesus will happen to you. Whether that be insult, ridicule, perhaps you will be arrested. Perhaps you'll live under a repressive regime that does not allow you to go into your church buildings. And there are so many, and I've been to quite a few closed down churches in the world where the authorities have just come in and closed the door. And nobody's allowed to go there, and so the people have to meet in secret. Or they have to meet in a forest, or they meet in a disused building, or something like that, in order to worship Jesus. And that's what Peter's preparing these people for. It's strange then that, that he says, uh, if you are insulted then in verse 14, because of the name of Jesus or the name of Messiah or Christ as it is here, 
you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, that's not the sort of thing you would expect, is it? To say that if you're insulted, if someone treats you badly, if they mock you, call you names, or do anything physically to you, you're blessed. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, I don't think it's right in our modern-day 21st culture. It's not right. But this kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't go along with what the culture tells us. The culture tells us to be successful and to have lots of money and to have a big house, etc., etc., are all the way things are supposed to be. And yet the scriptures tell us something slightly different. In fact, they're saying if you're insulted for the name of Jesus, make sure you notice that. It's not that you're insulted for being a rude person or that you're ignorant or that you're awkward or anything like that in society. But it's for the name of Jesus. If you're insulted, then you're blessed. Do you know the lovely thing about being blessed by God? It goes right back to Numbers uh, chapter 6, verse 26. You know the high priestly blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his gaze. Do you imagine that? The, the God turns his gaze towards you and give you shalom or give you peace is what it says. And all the Hebrews, whenever they heard this word or term blessing in the scriptures, would have known that what that blessing actually meant was that God's face shone on them. Remember Jesus up on the mountain and he said, Blessed are the meek, blessed are, etc., etc., etc. What Jesus was saying was, you are blessed if you suffer, if you are meek, if you seek after righteousness. And then he finishes off, those blessings or the Beatitudes as we often call them, with, and if someone insults you, you are blessed. That doesn't make sense in our heads, but that's what Jesus is teaching. You're blessed. God's face is shining on you if you're insulted for his name, if people mock you for his name. Do you get what, what, what's being said here? There's a blessing. And it's the glory of God and it's his face shining on us. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, you'll see how much the Hebrew people wanted the shining of God's face upon them. Read it in the Psalms and read it in various other places as well. Do not be ashamed. Sorry, our time's going very quickly. Do not be ashamed. Excuse me. He also then says, you find that in verses 15 and 16 here. If you suffer, should not be as a murderer or a thief, etc., etc., Make sure, Peter's saying, that culture cannot pin something on you to make you or cause you to be shamed. And he highlights murder. Well, I think the majority of the believers in those days, and I'm hoping everyone here as well, isn't guilty of murder. Although Jesus did say that you have murdered if you have anger in your heart towards another brother or sister. Just as Cain and Abel did. Uh, Cain did, sorry, for Abel, I should say in the book of Genesis. And so murder is one thing that he says, but he finishes off that by saying meddling as well. And it's strange to combine, do you see that in the scriptures there? Murder with theft, with meddling. Meddling seems so insignificant. And yet it's not. Why has he highlighted it? Because people were being, we would use the term nosy partners. They were meddling in other people's business where they had no need to. And some of this was causing and bringing great shame on God. But not only that, if those things happen, great shame is brought on the rest of the church, the rest of the believers, the name of Jesus, and the name, if you like, of, of Christianity. 
And some of that can be seen around the world. Do you know in many Islamic countries today, they look upon Christianity as being what they see in Hollywood films? So if you, watch a, you go home tonight and watch a film and you see uh, some people out dancing and, and having a really good time, drinking lots of alcohol, perhaps they all go home um, for a sleepover, shall we say, uh, wake up the next morning and all leave, etc., 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 etc. They look upon all of that being Christianity. And it's shaming, as it were, Christianity around the world. Now, you'll not think of that. But I could take you to lots of people in, in Asia, in Africa, places like that, who look upon Christians as being people who dress very immodestly, who entertain themselves with drunken parties all the time, and that this is the normal for Christians. And then on a Sunday they go and they read the Bible. And then the rest of the week they live as they want. That's what many Muslims, Hindus and others think that Christianity is. And it's bringing shame upon God's name. And so we need to stand up, Peter is saying here, and be true believers. Replicate the glory, he says here, of God to the rest of mankind. Isn't that what the whole of the scriptures is about? It's about being holy as he is holy. Now, make sure you, you take into account what that means. To be a holy person isn't someone that goes around with a halo and maybe walks about like this all the time and never does anything wrong. That, that, that's maybe a good person or a religious person. That's, that's not what holiness is. Holiness is being set apart from the rest of the world. The whole of the Old Testament talks about a nation, a people, Israel in this case, who were set apart from the rest of the world, who didn't get on like the rest of the cultures, so that they were different and could glorify God. The rest of the world could look at Israel and say, that's a people of God, and would be attracted to them. That was the whole point of all the laws and everything else in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the same, except it doesn't involve a nation, it involves one person, Jesus. He came down to be the perfect example. Someone who is set apart, different from the rest of the world, and we should aim to be like him. And that's what Peter's calling for here. We need to be not like the rest of the world, but we need to be different and set apart. The next thing then is don't be resentful. Uh, really taken from, uh, you see the quotation there in, in verse 18, which is actually taken from the book of, of Proverbs. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Very difficult here, I think, for us to assume and embrace, as it were, suffering. And that is a difficult thing, and I'm not standing here to, to, to say that it's easy, that everybody has to do it. But Peter's saying here that we should expect it in some form. We don't know what that'll look like for each of us. But he's saying here, if it's hard for us because judgment has begun already in the household of God, i.e. the believers, the church today, are, as it were, being judged, and many of them are going through fiery trials, which is refining the believers, okay? It's making them more like Jesus. That's the whole point of it. It's not something that has taken God by surprise. He has allowed these things to make us more like Jesus, to prepare us for heaven. So if believers are suffering that way, at the end of time, Peter's saying here, quoting from Proverbs, what will it be like for those who decide, no, I don't want anything to do with Jesus? Peter's saying, What's it going to be like for them if this, in this world, the suffering that we have is only a small piece 
of what's going to happen at the judgment throne. Don't be resentful of what comes to you. And that's a hard thing. Nobody wants pain. Nobody wants any sort of suffering. But Peter is warning us, preparing us, etc. And then finally, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. There he says in verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, okay, it hasn't come as a surprise to God, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Don't hear me wrong that, you know, God is willy-nilly handing these things out. That's, that's not what the scriptures are saying here. But there are certain things that he does allow in order to refine, in order to prepare, in order to teach many, many believers to be more like Jesus. That's the ultimate thing. And Paul is, uh, Peter sorry, has talked about that already and said about the glory of God. Continue to do good. Don't give up. Do you know that one of the most common voices of temptation for pastors and ministry leaders and mission workers, etc., all over the world is the temptation to give up and to be discouraged. Can I urge all of you here to pray for your leadership, particularly your pastor, Pastor Drew? Because they will struggle at some stage, will be discouraged in many, many forms to give up. I could give you a list today of here of of pastors that I know personally, who I'm trying to keep in touch with, who are out sick because of discouragement, because of mental problems, etc., etc. They're all good people. They're all sincere believers. They're all working hard for God. And yet they are suffering in these ways. And so if you're an encourager, let me encourage you to be an encourager. Encourage your leadership. Encourage other believers. It's a spiritual gift according to Paul. And it's something we need to exercise. Not all of us are called to be at the front, to be singers, to be preachers, to be whatever it is. And don't underestimate, if you're an encourager, if you've been given that spirit and that passion, please use it every day to encourage somebody, particularly your leadership, and they'll face all sorts of encouragement. And you're doing good, as Peter says here at the end, the faithful creator, and continue to do good. Don't let anything falter. And just finally, I want to say, do you know, as it says here in verse 19, to their faithful creator, it's the only time in the whole of the New Testament that it talks about God being the creator. There are many other occasions when they talk about he who, who made the stars, the sea, particularly in the book of Acts. But it's the only time that it mentions the faithful creator. And Peter's really emphasizing that he is worthy. Do you know all the Jews today, whenever they start off their blessings, these are the past ones who say the 18 different uh, prayers that have to go out every single day. Most of the blessings start off with, blessed is he, king of the universe who created. That's how their words start out. And so Peter, being a Jew himself at this stage, was refreshingly uh, revealing some of those words in order that the believers would continue that. That they would focus on the creator. And that through all of that, they would not be discouraged. So just as I finish here very uh, briefly, a 
hope you've gathered through all that's been said there that suffering is something that, as we've looked at here, is something that we shouldn't be surprised at. It's something that shouldn't make us miserable. It's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of, something that we shouldn't be resentful of, and something that shouldn't discourage us. And that's not to say if you ever go through discouragement, if you're ever ashamed, if you're ever resentful that you're no longer a believer in Jesus. That's not what Peter's saying here. But this is how all of the people of God should be. And that's the goal that we should aim for. That we shouldn't bring shame or be ashamed ourselves. That we shouldn't be resentful, to, particularly to God, for maybe some suffering that has come uh, upon us, even though that's difficult. Even though that's difficult and very hard. And it's what should make us different from the rest of society. What makes you different from your neighbour? What makes you different from your neighbour? It should be some of these things. How we handle suffering. Do we turn to prayer or do we turn to a bottle of pills? Or do we, what do we turn to? Do we pray for people? Especially those who insult us. Jesus said, didn't he, to pray for your enemies. He didn't say throw back insults at them. Or if they do something to you, give them it back twice over. Or get your revenge. Or get even, etc., etc. That's difficult for us to be different from the rest of the world. And yet that's what Peter's saying here to them. And let me just finish by highlighting. I have some books outside of Brother Peter Yashik. Uh, who was very different. Who didn't throw back insults for insults. Peter, if any of you know his story. Uh, it was a colleague of mine. He was arrested in Sudan. Uh, falsely then given the, well they tried to give him the death penalty actually, but they gave him life imprisonment in the end. He almost died in prison. Uh, there were insults being flung at him by some guys who had returned from fighting for ISIS in Syria. Uh, they were then arrested in Sudan, thrown into a prison cell with him, and they tried to kill him. And I'll not spoil it, if you do want to read the book, you can find out exactly what happened to him. Obviously the fact that the book is here means that he wrote it and that he is still alive, praise God. Uh, but some of his experiences in there are absolutely incredible uh, and I have some out there for you but he was someone who lived what Peter was trying to say here even all the suffering the affliction, the hostility that was coming towards him he wasn't ashamed of Jesus even in his prison cell they used to turn him uh, so that he had his back to them and they would slap him and kick him and he had to put his nose into the corner and not face them when they were praying five times a day to Allah so many things that all tie in exactly to what Peter says here. And he went through all of that and has come out one of the most godliest men I have ever had the privilege of meeting and sitting beside and listening to, to his story. Let me also finish just by saying thank you so much for your faithful uh, faithfulness, I should say, to Release International for how you supported the ministry over the years, obviously through, through Colin in particular, but also still going on to that. And please remember, as Hebrews says, those who are in prison, those who suffer as if you were suffering alongside them. And I hope that little uh, challenge from First Peter has given you some sort of increased uh, effort to, to pray, to be stronger in your belief, to engage with society and be different from all that they are offering, even though they might come and disown you or insult you or worse. Let me just pray and then I'll hand back.
Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak by your spirit. Grant us all understanding of your word. Help us to know what Peter was trying to communicate. Not only to those early believers, but, Father, to us in the free West, as it were. Know that light and darkness cannot be together. That there is a, an impact when light and darkness meet. And so help us to be light into our communities, into our families, into our workplaces, into our schools. And Father, when the darkness repels that light, grant us strength. And grant us, as Peter tells us here, to be able to rejoice in that. Father, that's difficult. We do confess that. And yet, the supernatural power of our God, knowing that you were able to raise Jesus back to life, that you're able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine. We just pray you would give us strength, grace, mercy, and love. Help us, Father, not to repeat perhaps the offenses that are committed against us, but to forgive those and to pray for them that we may be different, shining lights, showing the glory of God, realizing that in all of this we are blessed. Wow. Hallelujah. Amen.